This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, and put this tough market into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We're having a subterranean homesick blues moment here because you do not need a weatherman to know which way this market blows. Just need to follow certain key stocks and give you a good read on the situation. Better than just talking about the average. Still, after one more day, one more nasty day where the Dow lost 200 points, S&P plunged 0.81%, and then NASDAQ covered at 1.13%. The house of pain. Well, you need the right tools to navigate your way through these troubled waters. Tools that will help you recognize when the market's ready to change its mind and break out from the bearish malaise that we suddenly find ourselves in. So what tools am I talking about here? Something that's paid cost of fortune, some quick trading machine, some source of data? No! Simple. You need to have the prices and charts of just a half dozen stocks that tell, let's just say they give you the the feel, okay? They, They tell you the tail of the tape of this market. Because the action in these names will give you a sense of when the averages are ready to turn. We had a lot of positive action today, believe it or not, but it may not be there yet. This is a technique I developed decades ago, long before cell phones, back when I worked at Goldman Sachs. Whenever I was on the road, and that was quite often, beating the hustings for new clients, I'd pull up at a payphone with a stack of quarters. Uh, oh, but to, to everybody under 25, this payphone is this, it's an ancient device. It's located in a booth. You, you put money in a slot, and then you speak, not text, but speak to another human being. <laughs> and then I call into the office to see what's going on. Now, that was, there was no time to chit-chat. We were always very busy. It was Goldman Sachs, for heaven's sake. It was all lightning around all the time. I could squeeze in a quote request for maybe about six stocks before my partner grew weary and hung up with me. Six stocks to give me a read on the entire coloration of the market and where it might be headed over the next few days, if not weeks. Sure. Sure, I could ask Walter, my fabulous partner, about where the Dow and the S&P were. You might even volunteer that, maybe the NASDAQ. But then it was off the individual six keys to the market. So which stocks would I have asked him about today if I called him Walter with that payphone? Hi. First, we got a gaping hole in this market, and you know what it is. It's the transports. They have been down, let's say, a totally nauseating down 10 straight days. Versus just four days for the averages, <laughs> pummeled by relentless selling. Now, I could ask about the Dow Jones Transportation Index, oh, but it's filled with some flotsam and some jets. Instead, I cut to the chase because House FedEx, the stock's most emblematic of what's happening right now in the market, and, and that is integral to the transport's averages. FedEx has fallen off a cliff here. I mean, holy cow, the stock seems incapable of even one iota of stabilization, <laughs> let alone just a brief respite from the sellers. More important than the company reports in two weeks, and it's so obvious that there's some major fobs going on here. Fobs? Fear of big sellers. Fear of big sellers who will bolt 
because they're afraid of a weak quarter. Sell, 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 and a guy sell, down. Sell, 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 sell. It shed $5 today or 3%. Common theme of the stocks that I'm talking about. But here's the thing. We're not looking at FedEx to get a read on the fundamentals. I mean, look, Amazon's using them or not, whatever, okay? We're using it, its stock as a kind of referendum on the possibility of a recession. FedEx is a global shipping cut losses that touches on nearly every aspect of worldwide commerce. It's a stock. Let's say this stock tells you whether or not people are really afraid of a slowdown. A very important concern, given that the European Central Bank cut its growth forecast rather dramatically this very morning. Grim. Personally, I'm not as worried about a recession as so many others, whereas this stock would indicate. I know Fed Chief Jay Powell has our back here. Hey, listen, when you all loved them, I didn't like them. I'm on another camp now. I think this decline in FedEx is based on the rearview mirror when the Fed was still in town strangling, strangling the life, the life out of the economy. But Powell saw the slowdown coming. He's changed his tune. He's with the good guys. Right now, FedEx is being beaten to a pulp by shareholders who don't, don't think any of that matters. They assume it's too late for Powell to avoid a recession. I think the reality is much better than that. I know down 10 straight days, you think I'm wrong. I don't care. As long as the stock of FedEx keeps going down, though, we know that the sellers are in charge and the sellers do fear recession. So before I can get more bullish on the market, I need to see the stock of FedEx reverse directions, which was signal that a potential uh, slowdown is already baked in, meaning the market's been de-risked and could be ready to rebound. And then the buyers will want back in and they'll be FOMO, not FOBs. Next up is Micron Simple Moo. This commodity shipmaker has been at the vanguard of the recent run. The seven quarter stocks remember that. As Micron climbed steadily from 29 to 43, that action anticipated a turnaround in the seven quarter cycle back to growth. But then the stock ran into a retaining wall, in part because it had rallied so dramatically. And now it's fallen to $37 and change. If this stock can't find a bottom, people, I got to tell you, I think it's because sellers are anticipating a major guide down when Micron reports on March 20th. I can tell you it is vital for this stock to stop going down now. And at times, it actually did trade higher and finished just down 10 cents. I don't know. The semis are fabulous leaders because when they rally, it's a sign that global commerce is picking up as there's a need for more chips than they're already pumping out. A nice little bump up in uh, stock price of Micron may be worth a couple of points. It may be just a couple of points. Well, you know what that would do? It would ignite the semis, which in turn actually have the power to have the entire market go higher. House of pleasure. Third, I'd ask for a quote on Workday, WDAY. Because when this Cloud King reported, remember, they were great leaders, reported a terrific quarter last week, its stock sold off anyway. Sell, 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 sell. That marked the beginning of a brutal sell-off in the high-flying cloud stocks. And it hasn't let up one bit. I wouldn't trust any high roller until workday bottoms and starts bouncing. Now, the stock did spend a bit of time today in the black, but it couldn't stay there and ended up off 68 cents. Uh-uh, needed to finish in the black. Speaking of black holes, you need to watch the stock of Goldman Sachs like a hawk. Actually, a red-tail hawk, because I think they're good luck. Goldman climbed out of an incredible chasm not that long ago. And it was like that chasm up there. You ever been up to Cornell? You ever see that thing, that gorge? That's where it was. This is in the gorge. I used to recruit up there for Goldman, so it made me think of it. Big gorge. Uh, but then the stock's been hanging around right at its tangible book value now. The amount of money you get if you closed up the joint and liquidated everything, no different than leaving a card table and cashing out your, your chips. Remember, go out if you won and go buy yourself a cashmere sweater. Goldman's stock exaggerates every move in this market, which makes it terrific bellwether, even better than J.P. Morgan because it trades so radically. You aren't going to get a rally in the financials, a group that amounts to roughly 20% of the S&P, without Goldman pointing the way, especially given that CEO David Solomon will soon be testifying in front of a hostile house committee led by bank nemesis Maxime Waters. That won't be a good day. After plummeting hard all morning, Goldman's stock actually rallied higher but still finished down a couple smackers. In this market, though, that's actually encouraging. Fifth, the healthcare stocks have been acting terribly. And the worst of the bunch, I, I, you know, I'm afraid to say it, 
because I'm like affiliated with it because I've been telling you to like it. Maybe I whisper it. It may miss my camera. Keith, if I whisper it, will people know it's me? Maybe. Okay. CVS. 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 Yes. You know, I actually, CVS. I actually like this one, but I feel like I'm taking my life in my hands by just even mention, which is why when I say it's because my mic is over my I have my hand over my mic. CVS is now an amalgam of Aetna, the health insurer, along with the CVS drugstore chain and the pharmacy benefit manager, the old Kmart. And that is considered to be a toxic stew. You know, I was walking over the Gowanus Canal the other day, and I thought I saw CVS swim in it, you know, where the little bubbles are and the green stuff comes up, and it's not even St. Patrick's Day. Now, a couple weeks ago, the CEO uh, told uh, analysts that their forecast was too high. Talk about a kiss of death. CVS is trading around $70. Then it collapsed. Do you know this thing is now down? It's down for 11 of the past 12 days, sinking to 52. It's down. 24% from when I was in Italy, which was like yesterday. It's been an incredible breakdown because it's CEO Larry Merlot. We're simply going to come down here, right here. Let's say he came out here uh, and drank this bottle of, of red hot sauce while I threw it in my eyes. No, I mean, let's say he just came here, all right, and just said, you know what? We're still in business. I think the stock could actually go up. I don't know. Uh, maybe that, I think that could turn it around. CVS, though, is emblematic of the sickness that's afflicting this market. The sickness where sellers just reload and reload and reload and reload and simply don't even care about what price they get. That means your worst enemies here are often your price insensitive fellow shareholders. Anyone who doesn't care about price can destroy a stock when they decide to dump it. They're your worst enemy. And that's what's happening here. So don't touch healthcare until you see two updates in CVS. Yes, it needs two. The darn stock shed another 3% today and is now down 20% for the year. Who the heck keeps selling it here? I saw, you know, it was up 38 cents when I walked in the office at 70, at 7 o'clock. And I said, oh, that's ridiculous. Just someone's going to blast that. Well, they did. Even down here, they don't care. Maybe the strength in Costco after the bell stemming from a huge beat might at least remind you that CVS does have this retail component. Finally, this market had a leader not that long ago. And that leader was Facebook. Why? Because investors thought the ethical gas were behind them while the future held lower spending and higher margins. Well, today, we read that Facebook intends to create groups that seem to be close off to advertising. Quizzical, causing people to wonder if the revenue growth will slow some more. I mean, when I saw that with the advertising, I said, oh, so they've gone into the university business, have they? Anyway, uh, unless Facebook can shrug off these newfound worries and sellers, uh, the stock's up 29% for the year, even as it's lost three and changed today. The whole fan cohort could be back in trouble. Bottom line, Discovery Day. If you want to read on this market, watch these six key stocks, FedEx, Micron, Workday, and Facebook. You call in and you ask about those six on a payphone. No, you can even use one of these things. <laughs> and, and you will... About time. And you will have a real good feel for what's going on both now and the future. And right now the future shows an oversold market that's murky, might be finding a bottom, but you know what? In the case of... It's a... You got it. Let's go to Alan in Louisiana. Alan. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I'm a big fan, man. And Thank you. And my question's pertaining Goodyear Tire. I've been tracking the stock for the past couple months, and today it hit its 52-week low. Is now the time to buy? No. Or is the price no, man, the we don't need it. Hey, listen. we got to get out of the house of pain. Oh, so you and me be in the same address if we do that. And that's not the zip code. I mean, like, maybe the apartment building. I want you to be in companies that stocks are doing, of companies that are doing well whose stocks are doing badly. Not companies that are doing badly and stocks are bad. Oh, come on. i got more time for questions. Well, I'll have to do it at home because I really, oh, just a second. I just, some, a stock just came to my mind. All right, keep an eye on these six, which I think will give you a solid read on what could happen in the next few days. FedEx, Micron, Workday, Goldman, 
and Facebook. Okay, I'm Mad Money Tonight. Some puzzle with golden pieces. And how do they fit together? I'm talking with the CEO, Barrett Gold, to see how its potential acquisition of Newmont Mining is playing out. Then forget about Hasbro and Mattel. I'm going to tell you why Funko could be the right toy store for this market. And it's a platform that supports 2 million daily users in one of the hottest areas of tech, and you've probably never even heard of it. I will reveal the name. So stay with... And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Right, what the heck is going on with this merger mania in the gold industry? A few months ago, Barrick combined with Kramer fave Rand Gold to create the new Barrick Gold, run by Rand Gold's old CEO, Mark Bristow. He kept the job. Then in the first few weeks of the new year, we learned that Newmont was acquiring Gold Corp in a $10 billion all-stock deal. But late last month, we got a new twist. The newly combined Barrick Gold, led by Bristow, made a competing bid for Newmont, which they claim is a superior offer. Although Newmont seems to disagree, as their CEO, Gary Goldberg, publicly rebuffed the terms, and instead he wants to stick to his planned acquisition of Gold Corp. Just when it seemed, though, that the Barrick Group was therefore dead, we heard that Goldberg from Newmont and Mark Bristow met in New York City two days ago, perhaps to bust up the Gold Corp deal and let Barrick buy Newmont. We need to learn more about that meeting and what's going on here. It's very confusing. It's very opaque. So I was thrilled to get some clarity with Mark Bristow. He's the president and CEO of Barrick Gold earlier today. Take a look. Mark, a lot has happened since I've seen you last. You've done a big deal, one that I applaud. It's terrific. But then you're doing another deal now or one, two. Is it a time to call what you have, take a look and think, you know what? This deal alone is enough. And you don't necessarily have to go after Newmont right now. So how's it, Jim? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm not, I cut right to the chase. This thing's getting too nasty. We got to drill down. Uh, this is about shareholder value, Jim. There's no nastiness in it. It's not personal. Uh, I think, we're, as you've seen in the press, we are engaged in a constructive manner. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, that's all I want is how can we create real value in this industry for our respective uh, owners? And by the way, there's such a big crossover. Whatever we do, it's going to be good for everyone. Well, you're talking about the missing billions. I like that kind of talk because I want our shareholders to make billions. How will you find them with this merger? So, um, you know, the opportunity in Nevada is to put, which has been over 22 years now, people have been talking past themselves. So a good thing is we are engaged and we are in, uh, in discussion. Um, Gary and myself have met already, and we are talking. So that's a good thing. 
And, uh, and, you know, Nevada is actually capable of delivering a lot more. And if I try to explain to you, if you put these assets together and we unlock those millions, we can do it without issuing a single stock. Well, that would be amazing, I know, but I've got to tell you, you have since sat down with Gary Goldberg, but we have an interesting soundbite from Gary about what he thinks of this deal, and I want to play you what Gary Goldberg, the CEO of Newmont, told our viewers with, uh, by interviewing with Brian Sullivan just a couple of days ago. We took a look at it, uh, reviewed it with our advisors and with our board, and in the end decided that that just whole approach didn't make sense. We still believe the best approach is for us to continue to pursue the Gold Corp transaction as we are and to work with Barrick on a joint venture that can deliver the synergy values to both sets of shareholders. Now, you have said joint ventures don't necessarily work, but you just heard Mr. Goldberg. He doesn't sound like someone, uh, Mark, who really wants to do a deal with you. So uh, he is, and as you know, there's been a lot of debate about the the Nevada joint venture, and that is a large part of the missing billions. So I think, you know, um, maybe he's being a little defensive on the bigger deal, but what he has said to the market and what we are engaged with right now is, can we find a way to deliver real value out of Nevada where all this conversation started? And then we can worry about the rest later. Well, you know what? You've taught me a couple things in the years that we've uh, talked. Uh, talked, And one of them is, you know what? You really, you've got some great prospects in Africa. But lately, the Congo's gotten a little hard to deal with. Some of these countries, the more, you know, i got to tell you, the more affluent you make them, the harder they play. Is this something that Barrick needs in order to make it so Africa's not as big a part of the pastiche, the mosaic? You know, Jim, the one thing about mining is high-quality assets make money. You start with the top line at its highest. And uh, you can't make serious superior returns if you don't start with great assets. We had two great assets. Barrick had three great assets and the potential to deliver two more. Newmont's got a number of really top flight assets. And that is the, the dominant collection of tier one assets. So we as uh, leaders in the industry owe it to look to ways to maximize the return. And, you know, the industry also needs a real genuine introspection. It needs to look at it's not created value for its stakeholders. As you know, we have always focused on that in Rangold, and we are now focusing on that exact same philosophy in Barrick. And I, con- I promise you we'll continue to do that. All right. Well, look, to me, I mean, if it's such a good deal, why not tell Goldberg, you know what? We're going to slap on 15 percent premium, give you a little give a little more upside, walk away from that other thing, that gold corp. That's how valuable this is. Let's make this happen. How about we do that right now on the show? So I don't you know, I don't give away premiums that I haven't earned. And the, the logic about this, whether you're looking at a joint venture in Nevada or you're looking at a bigger rearrangement of assets in the industry, the inherent fundamental logic behind it, the industrial logic is so sound and it delivers value for all shareholders. And by the way, the the crossover across the industry of shareholders is such that there's no exclusivity. So if you pay a premium, it's like uh, pinching from Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't work. 
What we need to do as managers is deliver value. But what do we say to Joe Foster, who runs Van Eck International? I know these guys. I've been in talks with them. They are saying that they oppose this deal. I mean, he's your lawyer, biggest shareholder. I mean, he obviously thinks you're not creating value. This guy's got money in the game. He's not saying that. (laughs) Jim, you're not saying that. You're listening to the press and not what he said and wrote. He's saying we need to focus on unlocking value. So he thinks this does not. So in other words, he thinks, is there a price where he would come around and say this is a great idea? Well, he thinks it's a, he certainly has made a clear statement that he thinks the Nevada joint venture strategy is a really logical thing that we should both be pursuing, um, Gary and I, or the Newmont team, the Newmont team and myself and my team. He says that. At the end of the day, I think he hasn't opined on on the greater transaction, but he's encouraged us to go and have a discussion. And by the way, it's the first time in history I know where you have a hostile situation that two leaders of industry have sat down and said, isn't there not another way we can work this out? Well, Mark, that gives me hope, as a, if you're a shareholder of Barrick listening to you, that something good's going to happen, at least with Nevada. Do you think that that is definitely definitely the case? Yes, Jim, I can tell you one thing. Something good's going to happen, period. Nothing's well, off like the table. Optimism. But we're not, a, we're, we're not there about creating crises for people. We're only focused on value creation. That's our principal guidance. All right, one last question. I guess it's not as dangerous to uh, mine in Nevada as it is in uh, the uh, Gold Coast of Africa. <coughs> Look, Nevada is an enormously attractive uh, destination geologically and Barrick has some amazing assets and uh, and so at the end of the day as I've always said to you we're equipped to manage world-class assets wherever they are <coughs> and Nevada has its own challenges but <coughs> it's very different to Africa all right excellent I know you do always try to get to create the most value no one disputes that that's Mark Bristow he's president and CEO now not of Rangold anymore but of Barrick Stay with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com slash apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps. As this market turns treacherous, we keep seeing an unsettling new pattern. A company reports a blow quarter, but then its stock either sells off immediately or briefly spikes up for giving back all of its gains and then some. Come that I'm then are in these situations, there are stocks that have rebounded dramatically from the late December lows, which means you've got a large contingent of shareholders who are eager to ring the register because it's the responsible thing to do. I mean, how many times do I have to tell you, a little teaching moment, nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. But as I told you last night, this kind of action tends to create a cascade of selling. Once money managers see a stock start going south for no particular reason, because the numbers look good, they figure it's all over but the crying. And they desperately rush for the access sell, 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 sell. in order to get out before their fellow panic shareholders. 
They don't need to beat the bear out of the door, right? They just need to beat you. It's no longer FOMO in this market. It's FOBs, fear of big sellers who could run you over as they head for the exits. Sometimes, though, this kind of freakout can give you a fabulous buying opportunity, which brings me to stock I like, but, you know, you got to be a little patient here because it may not turn around immediately. And the stock is Funko. Yep, Funko. F-N-K-O, controversial, tiny, $462 million company that makes little toys. What my, I guess Pop would have called them tchotchkes. Specifically, Funko sells pop culture-related consumer products, especially licensed collectibles, think figurines for fans of sport movies, TV shows, video games, musicians, or anything else that there's a demand for. If you've got kids, or maybe you are a kid, you may have heard of their, pop, their brands like Pop and Dorbs, and, and they, they, they've got these cute little figurines with the adorably big heads. I mean, come on. How, who doesn't like Deadpool as Bob Ross? Or, you know, I think, I mean, I... I like this one, for instance. I don't know if you guys know Richard. Richard! Exactly. Now, Funko has indeed been a roller coaster. After coming public in 2017, it it really came, it it just caught fire. Only to get obliterated during the market-wide sell-off. I mean, you can see that, right? And then go and rebound like crazy in January and February. We had CEO Brian Mariotti on the show back in November when the market was breaking down. At that time, Funko stock had just imploded. It's plunging 21% in a single session. It's a company put it with... I thought it was a good quarter. The problem, it wasn't a perfect quarter. Despite beating on most line items, their gross margins, boy, is that a crucial number, the gross margin was a bit weak. And in the dark days of November, that was enough to send the stock into free fall. Mariotti told us a terrific story about these. Uh, it, it, it was a tale of explosive growth. And he convinced me that Funko had a bright future. Of course, we were still stuck in that bear market, that pal bear market. So the small cap stock continued to get slammed down to $11 on Christmas. How quickly we forget how quickly stocks can fall. Because as a fast grower that had a run up earlier last year, it was right in the middle of the blast zone. The thing is, there was nothing really wrong with Funko, the company, just the stock. The company wasn't broken, so in the general sense, the gloom receded in January after Fed Chief Jay Powell gave us that stay of execution. No more rate hikes until we actually needed them. Funko stock came around back. Fast forward to a week ago, and it's traded at 19 again. So anyone who bought this thing near the lows has got fantastic gains. Although it's worth pointing out that Funko was a $21 stock in the beginning of October, and then it traded up to 31 at one point near its high, peak of September. Then last Thursday, we get that giant moment. Funko delivers its biggest blowout yet. The company reports a monster 10 cent earnings beat. That's right, 10 cent earnings beat, off of a 34 cent basis, with dramatically better than expected sales, up 38% year over year. Oh, those are staggering numbers. When we first started talking about Funko last fall, I liked the fact that the company had ARG accelerating revenue growth, which is like crack to most money managers. They can't get enough of ARG. In 2017, Funko grew at 21% clip. In the first half of 2018, they grew at a 35% clip. Now they sped up to 38%. Best of all, management gave you an amazing full-year forecast with the sales and earnings guidance coming in much higher than what Wall Street was looking for. Okay, once again, it, it wasn't perfect. Funko's gross margin, what they make after the goods, cost of goods sold, will continue to shrink. Remember, this was the subpar line that crushed the stock back in November. But this time around, management gave us a very compelling explanation, quite different. See, often shrinking gross margins can be a very negative sign. I try to preach that on the show. Often it means that a company is aggressively discounting its products because there's not enough demand at the higher price or they want to fend off the competition. But that was not the case with Funko. Uh, Although there's nothing promotional about their tchotchke business. No, what happened here is this. The company's margins are under pressure because they're they're actually desperately straining to meet demand. High quality problem. 
As Brian Mariotti told us in the conference call, we quote, we consciously made spending decisions to achieve growth and expand our reach in the market as a whole, knowing it would depress our margins in the near term, end quote. If that's the price of radically higher than expected sales, it's a price worth paying. Even better, management says they see this incredible demand continuing through 2019. They're good at forecasting. All told, there was a lot to love about this quarter. And what happens, because remember, we're back in the bear phase. What happens? Well, look at this. Funko stock initially shoots. All right, this is what bothers me so much. It initially shoots from $19.89 to $24.31. That's a 22% gain at its highs. But that's when a ton of shareholders decided to ring the register, repealing the bulk of the gains, with the stock closing up just 5% at $20.92. Uh, that's a nasty pattern, people. This is this is your worst nightmare. You you got you nailed the quarter. You got you made the money. You did all your homework, and then boom, they take away the gain. And who's nimble enough to nail that? Not many people. All right, so Funko only rallied five percent. High quality problem? Well, not exactly. See, the profit taking never stopped. And over the last week, the darn thing has continued to go lower. Now it's seventeen bucks and change after another near five percent decline today. Yep, at this point, Funko is trading at a discount to where it was before the quarter. In other words, you're getting these spectacular results. For free. Better than free. You're literally paying less than nothing for a fabulous beat and raise quarter, one of the largest of 2019. So that's why I believe at these levels, Funko, the stock is a steal. I'll tell you why. First, Funko often refers to itself as an index of pop culture, right? I mean, these are stuff, they do it on a fly. We could have had all their stuff, you know, like a mountain of this thing. Uh, and it may sound overly ambitious, but I think it fits. Hasbro is something similar go, uh, going. I mean, they have tons of licensing deals for toys, ba- uh, toys based on iconic Disney characters, uh, Star Wars, Marvel Comics. But Funko's licensing model means it can focus on different brands everywhere. They're much more omnivorous than Hasbro. At any given time, they can team up with the hottest pop culture properties and turn out their signature figurines and collectibles. Well, what's, what's the hottest thing in the world right now? Fortnite, right? right the video game? And they, they upended the entire industry. Fortnite's owned by a privately held company, so you can't own that to be able to make money of it. But Funko's got a, a, a Fortnite brand, which makes this stock one of the few ways to play Fortnite's immense popularity. See how quick and fast they are? Second Funko is just lightning. They're lightning. In just a few months, they can turn the idea for a new, pro- new toy into a product on the shelves. Highly unusual. That's how the company gets so many great partnerships. Funko can get your toys on the market while they're still relevant. And hey, we know the model works because the company keeps churning out these awe-inspiring quarters, even though people keep waiting for them to stumble. It's tempting to say that there's nothing proprietary about Funko. They're just manufacturing what's ultimately a commodity product. I get that. What's so special about a bunch of figurines? But it's the process that's special. you got to trust the process. As long as they can go to movie and TV studios or video game publishers and offer to get their characters on the shelves faster than anyone else in a popular toy format, well, that's a real edge. Oh, and don't, it doesn't hurt that Funko only sells for just 16 times this year's numbers, 13 times next year's numbers. I think it's too cheap to ignore. But again, the shorts hate this stock. They keep thinking that there'll be a stumble. Bottom line, Funko just reported a fabulous quarter, but the stock got hit with a wave of profit taking. And after four straight days of endless selling, I'm telling you the stock's, I think, a buy. Just don't buy it for your retirement, please. Uh, This kind of small cap stock, much better for your discretionary mad money portfolio only. Let's go to Ralph in Pennsylvania. Ralph. How about James in Indiana? James. Hey, Kramer. Love your show. Thank you. So my question is about EA. It's been up 18% since the surprise launch of Apex Legends. It hit 50 million players in just its first month. But recently, it just lost its top spot on Twitch to Fortnite. Does EA still have room to run, or should I wait for another pullback? Uh, I think that 
look, when you have something like this, you have a stock that just goes up and up in a bad market. You're going to get another leg up in a good market. So I don't want you to abandon this stock. It's hot. It's doing well. You're going to hold on to it. Let's see whether something else can happen. That's my case. That's what I think will be for EA. All right, Funko puts the fun in investing. I think it's buy after its recent dip is, it, it, you just have to, I would buy it. But again, only for discretionary portfolio. As long as they keep coming up with toys like this, I think you have to own the stock. All right, much more Mad Money yet. It's a company called Log Me In. Over the stock down 34% over the past year, is it more like Log Me Out? I'm giving you my take. Then of the 16 million American adults who live with depression, as many as one quarter see little or no benefit from available treatments. I'm eyeing the recently approved drug that hopes to help. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Whenever I get a call about a stock that I'm unfamiliar with, we take our time to do the homework. We research it. Then we come back to you with what we hope is a considered opinion. Sometimes that takes longer than I'd like, but because this is the most interactive show on television, it's time to start working through this backlog of homework, or else why bother to say I'm going to do the homework? So let's talk about Log Me In, L-O-G-M-E-I-N, one word, Log Me In, L-O-G-M for all you home gamers. This is a stock that Steve in Indiana asked me about way back on November 7th. And I said I would get back to him. But in the intervening time, the darn thing, which I thought was a Chinese dish, log mein, well, it imploded. Just kidding. I've known log mein for years. So what is log mein and what the heck has happened to it? Okay, this is a cloud-based provider of communications and connectivity software. Wow, we've heard that a lot, right? Well, there are a lot of them in there. But this company's platform helps workers connect to their office files remotely. I've used the product. I like it. And they've expanded to a host of adjacent areas, collaboration, identity, and access management, customer service, connected products, and information technology management, all crowded fields. The company uses what's known as a freemium model. They've got free versions of their software and then higher quality subscription-based versions as you go up the chain. Now, LogMeIn has an interesting trajectory. The stock was a fabulous outperformer in 2016 and again in 2017 after they acquired GoToMeeting. That was a terrific spinoff of another company worked out for everybody. It was a transformational deal for this company and sent the combined company's earnings to the stratosphere. Who doesn't want a cloud stock with explosive earnings growth, right? You've taught you that much, I hope. The problem is that the narrative started to change last year for a series of stumbles. Last July, LogBand slashed its full-year earnings forecast and the stock quickly plunged from 109 down to 77. However, management was ultimately able to beat those lower numbers and they actually raised their guidance again the next time they reported in November. And that's around the time when Steve in India called, Indiana called to ask us about the stock. And again, Steve, I apologize that we took so long to get back. There is a tremendous burden of just trying to get everything right on a day-to-day basis. Well, since then, this thing has been a roller coaster. For the next couple of months, LogBeIn traded in line with the overall market, plunging to its early earlier lows when the bear market mold everything in December, then rebounding significantly from those levels in January in the first couple of weeks of February. Then three weeks ago, the stock ran into a brick wall. What happened? On February 14th, Valentine's Day, LogBeIn reported a pretty solid quarter. But management's guidance for 2019 was downright putrid. They're talking about earning less than $5 per share this year, much less than the $5.75 that Wall Street was looking for, and down significantly from what the company made in 2018. Yeah, they're forecasting a down year, and that's the last thing that money managers ever want to hear. 
Why are the company's earnings about to take such a big hit? Well, all of a sudden, LogMeIn CEO William Wagner says that 2019 is going to be an investment year. And that's a term that's the kiss of death on Wall Street. Dragon Sam. I don't know. Does it work? You tell me. Go on Twitter. Let me know. Anyway, he tried to soften the blow. Explaining that these investments were all about setting the company up for a new year of reaccelerating organic growth. Okay, all well and good. But what happened to the old era of growth? Some companies get the benefit of the doubt when they spend like crazy in order to juice their revenue growth. But unfortunately, LogMeIn doesn't seem to be a member of that exclusive club. Ain't no Tesla. So the stock gap down again, plunging from 95 to 82, single session, miserable. And since then, it's continued to bounce along in the low 80s. Not great action. Too many investors and analysts simply weren't willing to wait around to see how things look once LogMeIn turns things, let's say, to the better. The question is, what do we do? What do we do at this point? Well, at this point, LogMeIn stock has been humbled for the second time in less than a year. Presumably, there's been some turnover in the shareholder base. The people who don't want to wait for a turn have already sold. I got to tell you, I'm actually, I'm actually torn on this one. On the one hand, LogMeIn is the rare value play in the cloud-based software space. The darn thing sells for just 16 times this year's earnings, which is cheaper than a lot of the consumer packaged goods companies, the Cloroxes, the PepsiCo's, let alone the software's the service stocks. For a company that had 20% plus revenue growth last year, 16 times earnings feels like an incredible bargain. And while LogMeIn looks poised to have a down year in 2019, it's still pretty, pretty profitable which is a rarity in this industry. I mean, when I look at some of these stocks, I recognize that almost all of them, I'm just looking at some of the price earnings multiples, and I look at them and I think, I can't, get to rec- I can't recommend them because they just don't have enough earnings. But then what happens, of course, is, well, let's just say the earnings aren't there at all. Man, I, that's why I'm not sold on this. The thing about value stocks is that you need to be confident that they'll actually maintain their value. Can LogMeIn do that? I don't know. The company had, look, the company had to slash its earning guidance last summer. That's like a scarlet letter telling you to shun the stock. The fact that they've once uh, given again, once again, gave us disappointing forecasts, that doesn't inspire the confidence. So I'm a little concerned that LogMeIn could turn out to be a value trap. What if their investments this year fail to reaccelerate the growth rate? What if it's kaput? What if they end up being a market share donor to more dynamic companies uh, like Okta, which just you know, made an acquisition right now, pre-announcing good numbers, but it may not be enough for heaven's sake? Uh, or identity management, for that thing, you know, we use Okta for identity management. We had them on recently. How about Atlassian, simple team? And then the soon-to-be-public Slack for collaboration software, another company I use that I think has got a really great product. I bet this one sells off when the Slack deal occurs because if Slack is priced through LogMeIn, meaning cheaper on a P.E. ratio, you don't want to be in this stock. To me, this space is looking increasingly crowded. Well, that means price cutting. And that's why LogMeIn needs to invest in improving its product. The competition is just fierce here. In a crowded industry, I think it's just too risky to bet on a company with now what I regard as an inconsistent track record. So what am I saying ultimately? You got to take a pass. Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Until the investment year is closer to a conclusion. The bottom line on this uh, bit of homework if you want exposure to the cloud-based identity management and collaboration spaces, I suggest putting Okta after this big uh, the acquisition and the, uh, all the different new earnings numbers come out. I say that you do that after that. The stock is really selling off in the aftermarket. That's why I'm focused on it. Or you can be in Atlassian. Uh, they both should be on their shopping list, uh, even if their stocks remain expensive. We've been waiting for a market-wide sell-off to get a better entry point. We've been down for four straight days. It's happening. And given that the market has suddenly turned against these faster-growing cloud plays, as I said about Workday, I think you'll get a chance to buy them gradually into weakness. 
With these higher quality companies that are in the cloud, I'm confident that their stocks actually get cheaper as they go lower. And opportunities will bound after the washout that's playing out at this very moment. Much more mad money ahead. Stick with Craig. It is time! It's time for the light! We're going to go to the one of the city six. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate! Time for the light round, guys. I'm going to start with Nick in Connecticut. Nick! How are you, Jim? Nick, I'm good. How about you? Good, thank you. First time, long time. All right. Thank you for all you've done for uh, so many years teaching oh, us about the market you. with thank so much you. needed humor. Thank you. And also, thank you for all the charitable work you do for so many people. Oh, you know, well, that, thank you. You always like to donate. Well, thank you for pointing it out. I don't want to do it, but thank you. What's up? I know you don't. I know you don't, but That's, you're modest you know, about that. I know. Okay, but thank you. I wanted to ask you about a stock I have a small position in that recently um, announced good earnings. And I don't believe I've ever heard it discussed on your show, although I could be wrong about that. The uh, company is called EPAM Systems, EP. No, Nick, you're right. I don't know it. I got to do work. I have not talked about EPAM Systems. We'll do the work. Georgia. Georgia yes. in Florida. Georgia. Hi, Jim. Hey, Florida, go ahead. I mean, Georgia, go ahead. I want to know what's your take on exact science. It works. It works. Time. Exact science is worse. Ah. It's a way to cut down on, co- on colon cancer. I apologize to the CEO. I know I got the box sitting there. I got to use it. I got to talk about it with my boy. Oh, come on. You got to be kidding me. We're going to Carter in Virginia. Carter. Jim, what do you think of Avalara, A-V-L-R? I uh, mean, you know, if I'm going to be in there, I'm going to be in into it. That's the one I like. I-N-T-U, less in Virginia, less. Jim, thanks for taking my call. But of course. My question is, what do you think about uh, Philip Morris and Altria? Well, I don't like to recommend tobacco stocks on the show. I'm sorry. I did have a chartist who did say that they're good, though. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I can't believe I'm about to say this again, but stop being so darn cynical. What's the world coming to when I'm the guy who needs to make that argument? Every night I come out here and say this show is not about making friends. It's about making money. Pretty cynical worldview, right? One that makes me the most sincerely insincere man in North America. Yet I'm telling you that an excess of cynicism is one of the biggest impediments to making money in the stock market. What do I mean by that? Okay, something incredibly positive happened earlier this week, yet it was met with intense cynicism. The FDA just approved esketamine, a Johnson Johnson drug that's now known as Bravado, as a treatment for hardcore depression. The moment the approval went through, though, I started hearing jokes about Special K, Alice a Club drug. It's ridiculous that the FDA would give their blessing to something that people take along with ecstasy to have a dynamite party time. I got to tell you, this kind of chatter is horrible. You might be surprised to hear that my extended family has a history of mental illness. It's true. So as someone who's close to this issue, I know there's a paucity of good drugs that can help severely depressed people. It's a tragedy. Every year in America, 40,000 people will take their own lives. And there's only so much doctors can do to help people with extreme depression, blot out the negative thoughts that make it seem like it's rational to commit suicide. Rational to commit suicide. This nasal spray, which will be administered in tightly controlled circumstances, can save lives. That's what really matters. The studies were conclusive. Most patients will be helped by Spravato, particularly when it comes to suicidal ideation. Google it if you don't know it. 
Now, we know that this drug is not priced cheaply, $4,720 to $6,785 in the first month, and then reduced to $2,360 to $3,540 in later months. But it could be the biggest breakthrough in antidepressants since Prozac was introduced 31 years ago. I think some of the cynical chatter stems from a misunderstanding of what mental illness really is. And honestly, I wish we had a better term for it. Well, my wife Lisa dislocated her elbow a couple years ago. They had to pull her arm out and then put it back into the joint. They gave her ketamine to deal with the pain when it happened. It's the protocol. No one in the operating room thought that Lisa wanted to party hardy at some Hamptons bash. Of course, because of the absurd, opaque way that hospitals work. I had no idea how much it cost us. But the point is, it was a necessity. She screamed as loudly as I've ever heard anyone scream out when they yanked that forearm out and then jammed it back in. And then she was quiet. And then she was geekly. Giddy, smiles, laughter. And, and, asked, and she asked me if she behaved well or did she shriek out in pain. Talk about effectiveness. Now, though, J&J wants to use this drug to help with more than elbow pain. They want to use it for another vital organ. It's called the brain. When is this culture going to accept the concept that a brain illness, a mental illness, is every bit as legitimate as a dislocated elbow? How many people have to commit suicide in this country before we recognize that it's a good thing when a company like J&J comes up with a new antidepressant? Who cares if it was related to a club drug? The only thing that matters is it works. And that's why the FDA approval is so important. Last night, Allergan reported a huge failure in a study of a pill that was supposed to be a fast-acting treatment for depression, like Spravato. Yet another reminder, these brain illnesses can be really intractable. I salute J&J and CEO Alex Gorski for taking on the system, get this drug approved. The fact that it works is nothing less than a miracle. And the fact that it works quickly, something most antidepressants can't possibly do, is beyond miraculous. That's why I say we should stop being so cynical. This is a win. And I bet it'll be a blockbuster win for J&J shareholders, too. A drug that I think could reach a billion dollars in sales within two years, even as Wall Street thinks it just might do only $500 million in 2023. The street thinks this bravado is a party drug, a Band-Aid, like any other J&J product. But I think of it as a lifesaver. And I bet people suffering with depression will agree with me. Stick with Craig. My bad, we didn't mention Kroger, which is a terrible quarter, and Burlington, which was a light quarter. But after the bell, Costco delivered a good quarter. Retail is all over the map, and that is disconcerting. People want it all good or all bad. Too many things. There's weather, there's tax returns. It's all become so murky. You can't find a real bottom in murkiness. That's why I gave you those six stocks and why I want you to start thinking like I do, that we got to get the sellers done because there's too many people who fear big sellers. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.